podcast listeners. It's another amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show with, yep, you guessed it, your host. It's me, Matt Baxter. I am hanging out with Claire Henna. Uh, Claire comes from uh, London, UK, which is amazing. I think she did it super early in the morning for her. Uh, so thank you, Claire, for an, a lovely and enjoyable podcast. We get deep both on the personal front. She opens up about her family background. We talk marketing. We talk digital. We talk about all the amazing, different, crazy, wild brands that she has had the opportunity to work with and have an impact with. And so if marketing is something of interest to you, if digital is something of interest to you, if just online commerce and the ever-changing world that that is is something of interest to you, uh, or if you just want to listen to an amazing human being, not me, Claire, uh, this podcast is for you. So Claire, thank you so much for who you are. And thank you so much uh, for being an amazing guest in this podcast. I hope everybody enjoys this podcast just as much as I did. Claire, thank you so much for being a guest in this podcast. Thank you so much, Matt. Really looking forward to the spending um, the time with you. Where uh, Where are you recording from? I am recording from a very sunny London. <laughs> amazing, amazing. What's uh, I, I am not super familiar with current uh, London weather. Is it is it uh, is it cold? Is it rainy? Is it stormy? Do you guys get snow? like what, where where are we at with that? Right. So it's. I mean, it has been a pretty grey winter, to be honest with you, but it's been relatively cold in December. We're now coming into February. We can kind of feel the cusps of spring coming, but it's pretty chilly. Pretty, okay. Yeah, <laughs> but not as severe as these snowstorms that you, um, that are in America right now. And then one day it's like 80 Fahrenheit or whatever, or I forget the, the kind of degree to Fahrenheit um, uh, change um, in the weather. But so it's pretty consistently r- relatively chilly here. So you definitely can't leave without a coat on. <laughs> I hear it. Yeah, I live in uh, I live in Michigan and I live oh, so uh, very cold. Yeah, I live near the lake. So uh, you get the perks of the summertime. It's beautiful. <laughs> But you get the downside of lake effect snow during the winter time, and so this this winter in particular has been strange because it's been like uh, not super snow. Like usually it'll be consistent snow for like two months, and there'll okay. always snow on the ground. Whereas this time it's like it'll snow like twenty inches, and then it'll all go away for like a week, and then do it again. It's been very strange. So. Anyways, not to talk too much about the weather, but uh, <laughs> well, you, know, love- you, know, you know British people are obsessed with the weather, right? Now, so <laughs> well, that's now, exactly what I do right now. The- <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So, Claire, I'm I'm excited to to learn more about you. So, tell me the story. Tell me the background. Just tell me more about who you are. Yeah. So, look. Um, so, I'm Claire. Um, I am married, and I've been with my husband. We've been married for 10, together for 20 years, um, and um, we've got a little boy uh, called Blake. Um, but maybe if I'll give you a bit of um, the backstory in terms of me when, you know, who I was when, when I was younger. So um, so I've always lived in, in London, actually. Uh, my, my dad is Irish. He moved over to London when he was 15, so pretty, pretty young, right? Um, And he came to London at a time where, you know, experienced a lot of racism. Uh, Most pubs and bars had up on their, um, on their signage, no Irish, no blacks, no dogs. Uh, So he was coming to London to in a fairly hostile environment. um, uh, But, you know, he navigated his way through it. Met my mum, very young, actually. My mum was only 15, got engaged at 16. Um, and um, 
And look, you know, I am their only child and unfortunately their marriage didn't work out. Um, uh, I've been pretty fortunate growing up, right? My mum met my stepdad. My stepdad had three children. They went on to have another one. So we're a family of five um, uh, brothers and sisters. Um, my dad never remarried. Um, and uh, yeah, and so growing up, actually, I would probably say lots of love. Um, but I think... Um, the one thing I've probably learned from that situation of having divorced parents is that the guilt is real. You do feel that kind of sense, you know, going between um, uh, the two households. And also my reflection is, is that I feel feel for my dad that he never met anybody else because he would have been young enough to start a family. And so it's made me really think about um, the things that happen in life, try to not be bitter about them and help uh, and help learn from it and move on from it because unfortunately for my dad unfortunately he never did and and it was quite self-defining and so actually growing up um then became pretty difficult at points you know managing and playing out divorced parents and all those things that you read about you know the strained relationships definitely were very diff- very apparent in my my mum and dad's um, relationship but anyway look um we got through it, but there's definitely a lot of period of happened that when I was younger that has probably shaped me to to who I am now. My mum gave up gave up work when my mum and dad got divorced. She put a lot of emphasis in trying to make sure that I was okay in the situation, um, and I think my mum giving up a lot has always um, made me very focused about doing as well as I could be in school, in job, because I think I owe her a lot. Um, uh, so I think uh, there's there's definitely that side of me. Um, Claire, real, real, real quick on that. So it's you know I I first off thank you for sharing that. It's it's um, fascinating. So my parents divorced when I was in middle school ish. So when I was in seventh or eighth grade, and of my friend group, I think probably call it twenty five friends. I think twenty parents or couples were going through divorces about the same time. Wow. Yeah, it was it and and like middle upper class, nice, like community, like there was no real rhyme or reason, like just kind of happened. And so it was this, like, kind of what you mentioned around finding, you know, somebody else after, you know, divorce happens and remarrying, but also like just how vastly different divorces can be and how that also plays a factor of, you know, sounds like you had two great parents who who loved you and, and cared about you. Whereas, you have some parents who one goes distant for a while. You have some that yeah. all they do is nag at each other, even post-divorce. And you have some that like, I got super fortunate uh, for as unfortunate as divorce is, my parents were very cordial and um, re- at least respected each other as a, my, my other parent. And sometimes that's not the case. So I, I, I feel for you. It's, it's not easy. And um, but it sounds like you get two people who care about you, which is good. So yeah, look, um, uh, it wasn't it wasn't great because it was pretty hostile. But um, I think um, you know, and it probably just shapes you. If you were ever to go through that yourself, um, you'd hope that you would do what you kind of said: be the cordial one. You know, try and make things right. You know, when there's um, when there's little people involved, um, or they could be little big people at that point. Whenever you're going yeah, through, but for right. children going through it, because I think it is it's important, but it doesn't always work out like that, Matt. And you know, um, uh, we don't live in a fairy tale. No, that's 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 right. So yeah, so you you uh, you support you obviously focused and dialed in on school. You know yeah. what was what was sort of the 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 
the grand vision of life? What did you want to be when you grew up? What did you focus on? Yeah, you know, um, uh, so from a really young age, um, I wanted to go into law. Um, there was, um, so in um, uh, way back when, early 80s, I guess, going into the 90s, my mum used to watch this uh, program called LA Law. Uh, and I just remember watching it, an American series, and I was just like, wow, these people are really helping people. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's where a lot of my purpose in life kind of comes from. And I sent an anchor my purpose around being a spirited catalyst of happiness. And I think it comes from trying to keep both parents happy. Um, uh, but I've always been quite spirited. So I'm quite feisty. I'm a very, very driven person. Um, and when I saw this particular TV program and enthused my uh, thinking that I would go into law, I saw it as these were people that were helping people either get on the right side of the law or get to the right outcome. So I wanted to, I wanted to go into law pretty much up, right up until the age of 17. I um, was at college, did this one of these career studies um, thing, and I marked out really high on kind of creative and marketing and media. And I was like, yeah, well, actually, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind doing that. Um, so I just ended up changing direction. Um, and I was really studious at school, Matt. Um, I, um, I definitely um, always achieved to be an A grader, um, be the best that I could be. Going and goes back to what I was kind of saying about um, my younger years and always wanting to be doing as best as I could because my mum gave up a lot. Um, and so, yeah, but I changed tack and I um, ended up going and studying media, um, but more in the social sciences. So I went um, uh, went to university, uh, did that for three years and then came out of uni thinking I was going to go into ad agency world. Um, uh, and and then when I came out, I was I, then I I was like, right, maybe I should do that law conversion degree. Maybe I haven't shaken this law thing. And then I was like, right, no, I've got to stop studying and I've got to get out working. Um, and so I then started talking to some recruitment um, people and then was um, approached about a job going into an online startup. Um, and this online startup was called handbag.com. I had quite good backers in the UK, um, had Boots Walgreens um, as one and a publisher called The Daily Telegraph um, being another one. And it was one of these original dot-com startups that survived the boom and bust period. And essentially, it was an online women's magazine before magazines had started to have any online presence. And it makes me feel really old saying it, but predated Facebook. So it was a real, it was an original dot-commer. And um, it was such um, uh, an amazing company. So when I went and in, in, uh, interviewed, they were like, right, we've got this role you could basically support our sales team. Once they've sold the advertising around the website, you could put it on there, manage the ad campaigns and deal with wonderful um, uh, clients like L'Oreal or Procter & Gamble and manage all of our advertising. And I was like, well, this kind of ticks the advertising piece and digital, uh, you know, online startup sounds like a great place to be. And so I naturally fell into a bit of a digital career, to be honest with you. And that's where my passion for digital um, has really come from. And um, in the time of that kind of six years that I was in that company, it got bought by a bankers and then ended up getting bought by Hearst. Um, uh, and I guess Hearst are known for being a very well-known media company, have a very big publishing division, have a very big radio division. 
Uh, and then I ended up heading up the marketing um, for a number of their brands from Cosmopolitan to Men's Health to um, Harper's Bazaar. And I became part of the integration team of the handbag.com days and integrating this kind of dot-com startup into this 100-year-old publisher. And if you have watched the film Devil Wears Prada, it was like that at times. <laughs> it was um, it was definitely quite different from being in this young digital startup. And I guess the publishing industry was going through really big changes at that time, you know, heavily disrupted by digital, didn't know how to quite monetize it. Magazine readership was going down. And so actually people were just quite fearful and a bit worried. And um, you have to use everything in your armory when you're going through integrations like that um, to use your best collaboration skills to make people not feel fearful that they're going to lose their job, that they, you know. And so it was it was a tough 18 months doing that integration. And at the end of the integration, um, we were all the leadership team that were part of that kind of integration. We had the moment where we were in going walking to a leadership team and we saw HR there and we all knew what it kind of meant, right? Um, and I was offered my job um, to join the mothership. Um, but actually I was 26. I'd worked in publishing then pretty much, you know, my, my career doing marketing so far. And so I put my hand up for voluntary redundancy. It was the middle, it was the middle of the onset of the recession. Uh, it was a risky move, but I thought I have to back myself. And you know what? I'm 26. I don't, I don't own my own property. I'm, I'm, you know, I was with my, my now husband. Um, uh, we talked through it a lot. Um, and so I decided to go for it. I had to work a little bit longer. Um, to get it but I I left um, and I didn't have a job to go to until about three weeks before I left and I happened to see an old colleague um, and he said what are you up to and I was like well as it happens I'm looking for a role and he's like would you fancy doing some consultancy for our startup and um, and then I started consulting for him so I guess that kind of chapter then takes me to the kind of next chapter but um, but yeah it was um, an, an interesting time from the real of coming out of university where you're full of enthusiasm and I loved working in this amazing digital startup to then being part of this kind of corporate integration so it was a huge learning curve well it's you know it's fascinating to hear your story because um so I've I've this is my second business that I have right now and it's a startup and we've got uh, about 15 employees and previous business was a landscape and lawn care. So I've only ever a worked for myself and B been really, really small businesses. And so, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about like, Oh, I love the startup, small, scrappy culture. And then, or you have people who like love, you know, the safety and security of big companies and corporate and the benefits you get from them, but not a whole lot of people actually truly experience both. I think they talk about it, but they don't really. So it's cool that you have both experiences. Yeah, well, I'll tell you some more because actually since it's kind of evolved and where I've done more of the kind of startup thing within a corporate and then I've gone really big to a very big corporate. So I can kind of, you know, share some more um, uh, on the where it kind of took me in the next stages. Yeah, I'd love I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So look, um, after, so yeah, I did this kind of consulting. I'm like, you know, when you're working in a startup, um, pretty much what you said, Matt, I mean, like you're 15 people. I think I went in, there was 25 I mean, my background's much more marketing at this point of my career, but I ended up doing HR, restructuring, commercial, 
because you just do, right? You just, um, you're there as a purpose of, I, I often find this in startup environments, the passion of the people is unreal because they really have a belief um, and they make it their business to make the business successful. And I don't, I think that spirit is is quite unique. Um, and so I, so I was consulting there for about eight, eight months. And at that time I was approached by Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Atlantic being, um, you know, uh, a fantastic airline that mainly only fly long haul. And um, I was approached to go in and run the marketing and content for a startup that they were launching um, called V Traveled. And essentially, if you think about the TripAdvisor type space where people leave reviews, what, what the business had thought about, um, Virgin Atlantic has this very captive audience of people that are distinctly Virgin Atlantic travelers. How could you get that audience to leave their tips and reviews and, um, and then also basically collate all of their holiday research and then send it over to a Virgin Atlantic or holidays advisor to do the booking? And so that was the whole premise. But when I got um, joined the business, it sounded super exciting. I was doing this crazy four-hour round commute every day because I didn't leave, live anywhere near the airport. Um, but I was like, I have to work with this airline. I'm just in, you know. Um, uh, and every day I went in, there was Richard Branson's face in the office with his very well-known phrase of screw it, let's do it. So I was like, after commuting two hours and being up from very early hours, I was like, yeah, come on, we can do it. So it was a real kind of spirit in the the organization. Um, but when I went in, it was a relatively hostile environment, actually, because we were this small startup within the corporate beast of Virgin Atlantic. Um, and I'd never worked in travel before. Um, and when I went in, the business model was quite broken. Um, we were not making any money. So basically, I was part of the team to really uh, re-engineer um, the business model. We put in a gamification layer. So essentially, if you left your tip, you could then earn miles for your content contributions. We also integrated it back into the kind of original .com team. So I did that for a couple of years. I had the most amazing experience traveling around the world as well, because Virgin Atlantic does the most amazing uh, travel benefits as well. Um, and I spent time, like, uh, because I'd never worked in travel, I was with crew, I was with pilots, because if anybody knows a great place to hang out in New York, if you want to extract the, the best place to go, it's going to be some of your crew, right? So I loved it. I had a great experience. It was super hard, though, Matt, I'm probably talking a bit superficial about it. It was hard to integrate it. It was hard to change the organization when you're this very small team um, part of this very big corporate but after it was the right thing to do was kind of integrate it I would I would look back in it and say it was a failed startup but a failed startup that I learned so much from um, and it, it drove the right outcome in the end yeah I was about to say there's not there's not that many people who well I, <laughs> I think arriving at the conclusion that you were a part of something that quote-unquote could be considered to be a failure obviously there's a lot of people who are not even comfortable admitting that aloud but yeah what, then once you realize like, all right, actually that failure could have been some of the best lessons you ever learned. Like that's a really big deal. I mean, I, that's, so that's, that's cool. That was kind of your outlook on that. Yeah. Look, um, I, I learned a huge about myself, um, a huge amount about business, <laughs> frankly. Um, but you know, I think, um, 
that's maybe in the spirit. Look, if you t- look at the Virgin Company, look at how many businesses Richard Branson, if you know his story, he has launched and stopped and paused and pivoted. So actually, I think it's organic in the company spirit to be pretty strong when you know something's not working, kill it, right? Yeah. Um, and um, and that's the best way, best thing to do. So after, you know, two years being at the stage of integrating it back into the kind of core business, I was then approached about an opportunity for a luxury retailer called Selfridges. Selfridges had just started on their journey of transactional commerce online, so e-commerce. Um, and um, I went um, and met the, the head of online at that time, you know, and it was very much a discussion, can you help us come in and grow our marketing? Um, help us become the number one store because everyone if you know Selfridges they've got an amazing store on Oxford Street very experiential it's it's kind of high low fashion so you can go in there and you can buy a 10 pound item of something but you can go and then buy a 5,000 pound Chanel bag and so it's very accessible um, but it's also very affluent on the other end of it. Um, and it's, it's a very special um, uh, department store, um, you know, I, I would say. Um, uh, anyway, look, um, uh, so I joined and I was there nearly six years. I was part of the team that kind of took the team took the business from about 30 million to over 300 million. We grew internationally. But when I first um, went in there, it was also about really um, winning hearts and minds in the organization. Because as a hundred year old retailer, um, online was starting to break the business, you know, um, and store associates would just be like, oh, this online site. I do not want to recommend any of my customers buy online because I will not get any commission. So like this kind of basic human behavior that you have where you want to be naturally supportive, actually, because these sales associates are not getting any um, uh, commission, they would just be like, no, why don't you go to this other shop down the road? Because they just didn't want to give their commission away um, to another person in the business. So it was this kind of quite archaic um, thought process in a way of being like, because you'd like to think you'd go in and help anyone in the business but it was a time where digital disruption was happening within retail you needed to you had um, other retailers a bit further ahead but also luxury brands were not really in the space of um, wanting to retail online either so if you were going in and buying Christian Louboutin shoes you would look on the website and they wouldn't be there and from a customer perspective you're like hold on a second, they're available in your store. Why are they not available online? But of course, for a luxury brand where distribution brand is king or queen, um, it was very difficult to convince brands. And and one of the, I remember spending a lot of time in Paris with Cartier um, and it was a really significant deal for us when Cartier agreed to range a number of their fine jewelry on our website because it suddenly meant the other luxury brands would would come. Um, and so, um, so super interesting brands. I got to work with every amazing brand on the planet from Apple to Chanel to Charlotte Tilbury, did some really crazy stuff um, in store and online, got to work um, mainly on marketing for an incredible 
retailer every day and I didn't think I'd ever leave um, and um, I had my my little boy there and I came back I ran a transformation project all around CRM single view of the customer and I met somebody that worked at Unilever um, and um, he was such a great guy I just thought I would love to work for someone like this and he kind of said to me look you know Unilever on this journey they want external people um, uh, to join the business they want a profile like you um, which I thought was so funny because I remember applying for a role at P&G when I was you know taking, taking voluntary redundancy and um, I remember getting a call back saying you do not fit the marketing profile you haven't been classically trained in marketing and then like you know 10 years later or so there's this FMCG that wants a background like I had and I was really intrigued and so there was no job it was a very kind of casual conversation but he was like come and meet this person come and meet this person so all I can describe is I had this year-long courtship with Unilever I met a lot of people on my journey and then they crafted a role in the beauty and personal care side of the business for me and I joined literally a year to the day to meeting my my then boss um, and I left Selfridges and I didn't think I would ever leave Selfridges. It was it was one of these places that just got into my soul um, and I loved it. Um, but I was almost too emotionally attached to the business. Um, and I, I missed out on a promotion uh, there and it probably gave me the push I needed um, to leave. Um, and, and I thought probably where I wanna go into my career, it's not gonna happen. Um, and and then Unilever had offered me this wonderful role, and um, so I thought I'd take a leap of faith. But then I went into this massive multinational company, and yeah, it was so big, so international, um, that it probably took me a year to find my feet in the size of a business of Unilever. Um, but it's been the best move I've made, Matt, because. I think of the person I left when I was at Selfridges to the person I am now. I've got a team all over the world. So how I manage um, is so completely different, right? You've just got to trust people so implicitly to go and do their job to the right quality. You're, you're not with them. You don't see them in person. And then obviously COVID happens. So you're not seeing them even less. Um, and... And it was a very free culture. It, it wasn't like, where are you? It's nine o'clock. Why are you not in the office? Um, it respected the fact that you could have been on a call to China at 6 a.m. or you could have been on a call to the U.S. at 10 o'clock the night before. Um, and it's very much based on your quality output. Um, and I've been really fortunate there, Matt. I've had a I did, went into personal uh, beauty and personal care for three years. Then I got promoted to lead all of digital commerce across Unilever. And then last year, um, I've taken on what we call an integrated role, where I lead um, all of the commercial teams in beauty and wellbeing. And I also then um, uh, still do what I did before and lead all the digital commerce side um, of the business. So it's been it's been really amazing um, uh, and truly international. And so I've gone from this kind of startup culture to now this uh, big multinational. Um, and so I feel really fortunate I've done both ends of the spectrum. Well, not only have you done that, but also like it's it's amazing that the, the uh, stretch of organizations and industries you've worked with. I mean, from digital, which obviously ha has broad 
stroke to it, to retail, to travel. I mean, you've covered a massive amount of ground when it comes to different industries. So I, I applaud you for that. That's amazing. And, and Matt, I think, um, and for me, I, I think skills are completely transferable. Um, I think uh, when you're thinking about going into different industries, I guess it, you need to hopefully feel relatively passionate about them because then that can probably get the best out of yourself. Um, but yeah, I've been, been fortunate, but skills are transferable, I think. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. So, you know, beyond obviously your amazing career, what's sort of the big vision? What are you hoping to accomplish? What's, you know, what, what, what do you want to, like, if you're going to have, leave a mark in the world, have an impact, what would you want that to be? Look, um, I think um, I get my energy by being with people, right? And, um, and I think, um, if I think now, I've got this, um, I've got a role where in a relatively male dominated function, um, and I think I have a real duty of care to my fellow females um, around the world, but also within the organization that I work in now, uh, to, to make, a, make a mark on a very predominantly um, male-dominated uh, um, function. And so right now, um, I, the mark I want to make is bring 50-50 parity from a gender perspective, um, which we don't have at our senior levels. Um, and I think it matters because representation matters, right? I think if you do not see yourself in the teams or the leadership teams around you, you can't see a mirror and therefore you are unable to lock a vision of that your dream can be made a reality. So right now, short term, I really want to bring 50-50 parody in, um, in the function, in the commercial function. Longer term, um, because I've got that energy for people. I, I've been, again, really fortunate to keep in touch with so many of the teams I've worked with. And so I just want to continue to um, give people the skills, the runway that they need in their career to go and be the best version that they can be. And um, and if I can play one small chapter um, in their ability to go and be that best version of themselves, then I will we'll be very happy. Hmm. Um, uh, and so that goes back to kind of why I'm this kind of catalyst of happiness because I really truly believe if you are happy you also get your best performance um from people so um yeah I mean um maybe uh maybe a bit of a dreamer um Matt but yeah those would probably be the short term and the longer term I think those are pretty amazing goals I love that I uh one of my one of my favorite kind of bits and this is like a little bit of a personal life mission but I, I gave a talk on taking one step and, you know, basically encouraging people that no matter what you're doing career wise, relationship wise, just take one step closer. And it kind of goes hand in hand with like helping people kind of be the best version of themselves. Like yeah. part of the part of being the best version of yourself is trying different things and some are going to flop and some are going to succeed. But if you just take one step, you're going to get a hell of a lot closer to who you're supposed to be and where you're supposed to be. So I, uh, I think we have pretty similar goals. So I love, love that. that. Love that. I love that as well. Um, and one step being towards who you want to be is that hopefully you'll be happy. You can kind of get that vision and you can make that dream a reality. Yep. That's right. My favorite qu question on the planet is uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Ah, right. Okay. What gets me out of bed in the morning? Um, 
I don't need a lot of people to shake me to get out of the bed, to be absolutely <laughs> honest. That's um, a good thing. I'm 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 a pretty self-motivated person, um, uh, Matt. Um, look, I've got a little boy um, who um, should have the world at his feet. Um, and so him... Um, him and his um, uh, his his opportunity is definitely a primary reason for me, um, and and then I go back to what I kind of said at the beginning. Um, I want to be the best version of myself. I owe a lot to my mum in particular, um, and therefore, if I'm if I feel like I'm waking up and I'm not being the best version of me, I think I'm doing a bit of disservice to living and breathing. And I'm pretty lucky to be healthy and be here. So, um, so yeah, that would probably be for my family, ultimately. I love that. That's good stuff. So, Claire, for people that want to follow along with what you got going on, learn more about you, reach out to you, what's the best way for them either to get in touch or follow along or uh, reach out to you? Oh, gosh. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, Claire Henner. Um, you can email me, um, claire.henner at unilever.com. Um, uh, yeah, those are probably two of two ways without giving out my phone number. It's <laughs> <So. Perfect. laughs> Don't need to do that. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Claire, this has been amazing. Seriously, thank you. And you have such a cool story. And I, I'm, I'm so glad I got a little time with you today. And this, this is good stuff. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you, Matt, for having me. And um, I really, really appreciate it. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at thematbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.